me to the book of Jude. That's where we are, the church family are right now. We're trying to get a better understanding of this often forgotten book of the Bible. It sort of lives in the shadow of the book of Revelation, which gets a lot of attention. But there's a short little book right before the book of Revelation called Jude. And we want to see what it has to teach us as a church family. So in previous weeks, we've said, okay, who is this book written to? Well, it's written to a group of Christians just like you and I. It's written to a group of Christians who are beloved by God the Father, who are treasured by Jesus Christ. And Jude says to them, I want you to contend for the faith. Like a boxer in a ring, I want you to fight and contend for the faith that's been passed down to you. Jude says, I would love to write you a letter that talks about how glorious our salvation is. But I felt out of necessity I couldn't write such a letter. I had to write a different letter to you. Why? Well, because it says in verse 4, certain people have crept in who are ungodly, who pervert the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ into sensuality, and who deny our master and our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude is saying, keep an eye out for such people. Now, I want to just highlight something that, that just for the sake, just let me state the obvious. If you're new to Northgate Church, we are in no way implying that you are creeping in. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. Honestly, when we're framing up this sermon, it's not with you in mind. If you're new, as we talk about people who are creeping into the church in ungodly ways, what we're doing as we frame up this sermon series together is saying like such people are already with us, perhaps. It was true for the, in the church that Jude's writing to. He doesn't name them, but he says they're among you. And so what we're saying as we look at this book is let's make sure it's not me. As I read the book of Jude, may I make sure that it's not me, that I'm not the one who's crept in, that it's not me who is doing the things that Jude is warning us about. So as we framed it up last week, we're going to continue it. This is a list of what not to do to make sure you're not the one creeping in. Let's see what we should not do as we look at the book of Jude. And so we're, we're going to pick up in verse 11 as we frame it up this way. Okay, here's what not to do to make sure. I want to make sure I'm not someone who's creeping in with an ungodliness into a church. Well, here's what it says. Woe to them, those who creep in with ungodliness. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. If that sentence to you really means nothing and it just sounds like a bunch of biblical things, then I have a course for you. It's called Intro to the Bible. No, they're not even going to touch it on Intro to the Bible because that sentence is loaded with characters that are much deeper than just Intro to the Bible. Some of these characters are just really remote characters on the pages of Scripture. So what I want to do is just, I'm going to walk you through it. A sentence that might mean nothing to you, hopefully in a few minutes will have some more meaning. So he says, don't be someone who walks in the way of Cain. So who's Cain? All right, so we go back to the first pages of the Bible. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They sin and are cast out of the Garden of Eden. They have two children. Now as they live outside of Eden in a world that's contaminated with sin, there's Cain and Abel. And Cain slew Abel. This is a classic story from the Bible, right? The first murder in the Bible is whenever Cain kills his brother Abel. So you might say, okay, well, I get that. When Jude says they walked in the way of Cain, it must mean they were murderers. Well, maybe, but if you actually zoom in on this story from Genesis chapter 4, what you see is this. So there's a moment where, there's a, where Cain and Abel bring a sacrifice to God. And for whatever the reason, God is pleased by Abel's sacrifice and he is not pleased by Cain's sacrifice. 
biblical scholars don't really understand why God was pleased with this one and not with that one. There's not a lot of clarity, but the point is, God made it clear he was pleased with one and not the other. And that made Cain really mad. It produced in Cain's heart some jealousy and anger and bitterness. But God actually descends and he speaks directly to Cain. Cain hears the word of God directly. And God is saying, hey, check yourself, Cain. You've got to check yourself. What you did did not please me. And it says in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, it talk, God is speaking and it says, Cain, if you did not do well, and you didn't, Cain, if you did not do well with that sacrifice, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. God says this to Cain before Cain kills Abel. Cain's mad because his sacrifice was rejected. And God says to Cain, okay, listen, you did poorly before. So here's the scenario. You walk out of these doors. Sin is crouching like a, like a lion and its desire is for you. And here's what you need to do, Cain. You need to rule over it. You need to master it. Now you know. Now you need to master over it. And what Cain chooses to do is he chooses to reject God's word. And he chooses to lean into and yield to the jealousy and the anger and the bitterness. And the next thing you know, he kills his own brother. So the sin of Cain or the, the way of Cain, I don't think it's simple enough to just say it's murder. It's, it's when you reject God's word and you just continue to yield to the sin that you're actually quite enjoying the feelings of. It's a wonderful, helpful um, phrase for us. It's a wonderful verse for us. It's a great story to keep in mind because it is so relevant. I don't know about you, but every single day I make a mistake. So Cain made a mistake. You know what? He should have brought a different offering to God instead of the one he brought. But you know what? That's the scenario. He made a mistake. I make mistakes too. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Well, now here's the scenario. Here's the word of God. Okay. Now sin is crouching at the door. His desire is for you and you must rule over it. So now I have a fresh start. I have, I have this opportunity now. Now I'm aware of the situation. Now what am I going to do about it? Am I going to rule over that sin that I know is desiring for me? Or am I just going to yield to it? It's important for us not to walk in the way of Cain. It can happen to the best of us. I don't know what situation is going on in your life or in your workplace or in your family. Maybe there's a little bit of jealousy. Maybe there's a little bit of anger or bitterness and whatever your personal situation is over this last week. But these are pretty common emotions that we each feel. Jealousy, anger, bitterness that's in our hearts. We, if we lean into that and choose to reject God's word, God's word tells us in James 3, if you have bitter jealousy and selfishness in your hearts, that is not from above. It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So there's the word of God. Are you going to receive the word of God or are you going to reject the word of God and continue to lean into your sin? Well, then hear God's word. If you choose to carry on that way, sin is desires for you and it's going to pounce. Are you going to rule over it or not? You say, I'm not going to rule over it. I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to keep the bitterness. I'm just going to keep it. Well, then just realize you're choosing to walk in the way of Cain. And that is an ungodly road that does nothing for the health of the church nor for the health of you personally. So don't walk in the way of Cain. The next one was don't abandon yourself to, for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Okay, so what's Balaam's error? That I shouldn't abandon myself 
to the sake of, for the sake of gain of Balaam's error. So Balaam is this weird remote character in the Old Testament. He pops up in Numbers 22 through 24. He's an Old Testament prophet, but not a prophet of God. He's a pagan prophet. So it seems like this is the way it worked. If you, back in these ancient Near East times, if you worshipped the sun god or you worshipped the moon god, then you would dial up Balaam and say, would you come out here because I want to hear a word from my god. And so Balaam would come out, you'd write him a check, he'd take your money and he'd tell you, okay, here's what the sun god has to say. Here's what the moon god has to say. I want to hear more. Well, then, then give some more cash and I'll tell you more about what the sun god has to say. So best case scenario, Balaam is a con artist. Worst case scenario, and probably more accurate, he is an agent of the devil who is choosing to communicate falsehoods to a whole group of people that are worshiping a false god that doesn't even exist. Well, so what happens is this uh, king of Moab, so that's a neighboring nation to Israel, they contact Balaam and they say, we don't like this kingdom of Israel that has moved into this land, and we would like for you, Balaam, to put a curse on the nation of Israel. Balaam says, you write the check and I'll bring the curse. So that happens. Well, God enters into the story and he says, no, Balaam, I don't play like that. You're not going to curse the kingdom of Israel. You won't do it. Balaam actually responds when God actually speaks to him and he responds and says, okay. What happens is he sort of decides to circle back. Well, you know what I could do? I could spin this thing into some lining my pockets even more. I'm going to circle back to the king of Moab and I'm going to tell him about my interaction with the king of Israel or the God of Israel and maybe I can line my pockets even more. On his way back to the king of Moab, God again steps into the story and says, listen, Balaam, I don't play like that. He puts an angel in the path of Balaam. He's on a donkey. And the donkey can see the angel, but Balaam can't. So when the donkey sees the angel, he turns and goes down a different path. Well, Balaam starts beating his donkey because he just keeps turning and he's not telling them to. So it happens again and again and again until finally, this is a strange story in scripture, um, God opens the mouth of the donkey. It's like Shrek. The donkey turns around and speaks to Balaam and says, why are you hitting me? Balaam says, because you keep turning. And then God opens Balaam's eyes and he sees the angel of the Lord. And the story goes on from there. We don't have time to unpack all of it. Um, God actually does end up speaking through Balaam in some unique ways. It's an interesting story. The point is, what is Balaam's error? I think it has nothing to do with um, animal cruelty. Although for clarity, that's wrong. But that's not Balaam's error that we're being highlighted here. We're talking about how it was greed, right? It says, for the sake of gain, don't commit Balaam's error. So he's saying, don't be like Balaam. Don't have this love of money. This manipulative love of money is what Balaam is going to be known for. He was just chasing those dollar bills. He's saying, don't, for the sake of gain, abandon yourself to Balaam's error. Don't love money. Don't do it. Second Timothy chapter, or First Timothy chapter six, verse ten says, "The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil." And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. It can happen to the best of us. Maybe even right now. You've been around Northgate Church a while and you're listening to us talk and you've heard about how over the last two years, in the midst of a pandemic, we have seen God bless us financially in ways beyond our wildest expectations. 
You could be sitting out there and think to yourself, wow, this church is being blessed financially. You know who's not being blessed financially? Me. I could use some more money. I could use a new car with a higher car payment. I could use a summer vacation. I could actually like a nicer house, a bigger house like all my friends have. And you know what? This church is doing fine financially, and I'm not. So you know what? I'm not going to give any more here. I need this money more than they do. I'm going to just keep my money. Well, you can't love money, right? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This happens because you know what might happen a few years from now? A few years from now, that love of money is just going to keep rolling around in your heart. And this is what I've seen happen over the years. All of a sudden, you just become obsessed with the money. You become obsessed with how the church is spending their money. And then all you ever want to talk about is the church's budget. You may not want to talk about it with me, but you want to talk about it with everybody else. All of a sudden, there's not of your money is involved, but you're like, the church shouldn't spend money on this. The church should spend money on that. And the next thing you know, years go by, and you see this ungodliness in yourself. And you're like, where did this ungodliness come from? And so it might have come because you have this love of money. right? It can happen to the best of us. We all got to keep our own hearts in check so that we don't abandon ourselves for the sake of gain to the way of Balaam, the love of money. Don't be like Cain and reject God's word. Don't be like Balaam and love money. And don't be like Korah who chose to rebel against God's authority. So Korah is in Numbers chapter 16. In Numbers chapter 16, the people of Israel are in the wilderness and Moses is their leader. It's real clear. God makes things abundantly clear that Moses is the leader. But Korah doesn't like Moses' leadership. So he does what a lot of people do. He finds other people that agree with him. He finds 250 other people that agree that they should be in charge and not Moses. So to make a long story short, they go before Moses and they say, uh, we want to be in charge and we would just like for you to move on out of the way. And it says in number 1632, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up. Verse 34, fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men. So Jude's saying, listen, I don't have time to tell you the story of Korah, but don't be like Korah. Don't rebel against God's authority. Don't do it. Most of us who sit in this room today or online with us would identify themselves as Protestants. Because hundreds of years ago, there was a movement, the Protestant Reformation, where we did choose to leave the Catholic Church, didn't we? We disagreed on biblical terms and a number of elements. And so I think it's fair to acknowledge that there is times in which we ought to rebel against authority. There are times in which the authority over us is doing things that are wrong and it is appropriate for us to push back against it. If you keep up with the news, you saw early in the week, actually the news broke Sunday last week, the Southern Baptists have a whole big mess on their hands because people in the church were not willing or weren't maybe informed enough to be able to challenge the Southern Baptist Church on a number of issues of sexual misconduct and cover-ups and lies and deceit. And so it is appropriate at times to challenge your authorities and to step in, but that's not what's happening here with Korah. Korah and his 250 friends were simply chasing power. And I don't know how much you've been around church, but I grew up in a pastor's home. My wife grew up in a pastor's home. I've been to Bible college and seminary in a number of different churches. I've read a lot of books and articles, and I've seen this play out, ladies and gentlemen. And maybe you have too. There's beautiful and good parts of church. 
And there is also this ugly side of church. And the ugly side exists because we're a whole bunch of sinners that come together here seeking after a Savior. And in the midst of it, we make all kinds of mistakes. But sometimes good people choose to reject God's word. Sometimes good people let a root of jealousy and bitterness and anger take root in their hearts. And when you mix that cocktail up with the love of money, then all of a sudden you've got rumors and you've got little circles of people talking. And the next thing you know, you've got a group of people who are ready to overthrow the authority. And you've got church splits. And you've got people who don't talk to each other anymore. And you've got all kinds of a mess on your hands. It happens to good churches. Jude goes on to describe this situation and these types of people in verse 16. I'm jumping a couple verses, but in verse 16 he says, Listen, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Jude says, watch out for these people. What I'm telling you this morning is, listen, get your own heart in check and don't be one of these people. Check your heart. Make sure you're not one of them. God is currently blessing Northgate Church, I believe. I talk with many of you uh, during any given week, and people testify to the fact that they feel like something as special is happening in our church. There's a wave of the Spirit as we see growth in attendance, as we see growth in people's spiritual lives, growth in people taking steps of obedience to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so we are so grateful for this moment, and we regularly pray that we would steward this moment, that we would steward these people in a way that honors God. But we also have to keep our hearts in check. And wherever we sense grumbling or discontent, wherever we've chosen to reject God's word or the love of money has seeped into our hearts or there's this rebellious spirit in our hearts, we're showing favoritism to gain an advantage. We've got to keep our hearts in check and we've got to purge that so that we continue to ride this wave of the spirit so that we can make a great impact for the kingdom of heaven here in Pittsburgh and around the world. Each one of us could fall into any number of these sins. I read this week about a church in Illinois, or I'm, I'm sorry, it was in uh, near St. Louis. Um, near St. Louis. It's called the First Baptist Church of Ellisville. Everything was going great for the First Baptist Church of Ellisville. They were growing in number, like from 300 to 400 to 500 to 600, 700, 800. I don't have any details. I don't know the story of of how, but... Grumbling started, discontentment, people started walking in the way of Cain, and they stopped ruling over sin, and they let it pounce on them and rule them. They started walking in the way of Balaam, and they started loving money, and they started acting like Korah, and the next thing you know, 400 people and the pastor moved five miles down the street and started a church, and 400 people stayed in the old church building of the First Baptist Church of Ellisville. And today, the First Baptist Church of Ellisville is no longer in existence. It happens to good churches, churches like Northgate. Certain people creep in, or perhaps certain things creep into my heart and into your heart. Don't be like Cain. Don't reject God's word. Don't be like Balaam. Don't love money. Don't be like Korah. Don't rebel against God's authority. Don't grumble. Don't follow your own sinful desires. Don't show favoritism. So in verses 12 to 13, that's a lot of information. And then in verses 12 to 13, Jude decides, I know what can help the reader. 
more illustrations. So he just takes this bucket and he just dumps it of a bunch of illustrations and metaphors. If I were with Jude when he was writing this, I'd been like, maybe we could just scatter these out throughout the letter. But he just dumps them all. So verses 12 to 13 read this way. These are, these people, are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you among, without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. He lists off six metaphors or illustrations there for what these people are like. I'll move quickly through them just so you can see sort of maybe one of them sticks with you this week as a helpful illustration. He says, don't be like hidden reefs. Your translation might say uh, blemishes. It's, it's a weird word they try to translate. We're running with hidden reefs. But before we talk about hidden reefs, we probably need to address love feasts. I don't know what your vivid imagination is dreaming up right now with love feasts. But let me just pop that balloon. It is uh, probably potlucks, church dinners. Church picnics, they're coming together for communal meals. So when you read love feasts, that's what they were describing. Like these are times when the church comes together and eats together. And Jude is saying, listen, at those meals, at that church picnic, one of these people that has crept in was sitting with you without fear. One of these people that's perverting the grace of God, denying our master and Lord Jesus Christ. You can't even tell who it is. And as you keep an eye out, read my letter. But don't be like a hidden reef. So the hidden reefs, you know, if you're used to sailing, I guess this would make sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I guess there's jagged rocks just below the surface. That would be a hidden reef. And if your boat comes along and hits a hidden reef, these jagged rocks just below the earth's surface, it's going to destroy your boat. So Judah's saying, listen, pay attention. There's people who creep into your church. Things creep into our hearts. And they are destructive. And they're hard to see. Or maybe they're easy to see if you're looking for it. The Titanic was sunk, not by a hidden reef, but sort of by a hidden iceberg. What they say was that night that the Titanic sunk, they were warned. They had multiple warnings that there was icebergs in the water, and they chose, they chose not to keep an eye out. And they destroyed the Titanic. Your grumbling and rebellion, your love of money, your pursuit of your selfishness can be more destructive than you realize. Don't be like a hidden reef. Don't be like a shepherd feeding only yourself. We were pretty removed from shepherding vocations in our lives. But I think we could all probably connect with the idea that shepherds are there to feed the sheep. So you've got a really fat shepherd and a really skinny sheep. You've got a problem on your hands, don't you? So let's apply this to each one of us. It applies to me quite obviously as I serve as the shepherd of Northgate Church. But it applies to you as well. Because if there is nobody underneath you that you can give a little morsel of food, spiritual food to, then we have a problem. If you come to church, if you engage spiritually only to feed yourself and not to share any of that spiritual food you get with anyone else in this world, then we have a problem because then you're a shepherd who feeds only themselves because there's got to be a verse you could text to someone. There's got to be a nugget of something from a Sunday or from something that you learned that you could share with someone. There's got to be a, a podcast or, or a song on the radio that you could share with someone. There has to be someone in your life that you could provide some spiritual food to. If you're only feeding yourself, then we have a problem. Don't be like a shepherd who only feeds themselves. Don't be like a waterless cloud swept along by the winds. All right, 
This one I have issue with. We live in Pittsburgh. All right, so Friday night and Saturday, I'm at a baseball field all all Friday evening and all day Saturday. And if you remember, all day Saturday, there was rain in the forecast. And so I thank God for waterless clouds. Like, I love waterless clouds. We live in the cloudiest, one of the cloudiest cities in America. So I get it, not liking waterless clouds, but I prefer waterless clouds to water-filled clouds. So this metaphor doesn't land for me. However, Jude is probably writing out of more of a desert context. He's probably writing a letter to a church that lives in a place that has different weather patterns than Pittsburgh. So we have to imagine ourselves in maybe a desert context where it never rains and it's so hot. And then off on the horizon, you see a rain cloud and it hasn't rained in so long. And you, boy, you wouldn't give for some refreshment to break the heat. Here comes a rain cloud. You can see it. You've seen others before and it comes over you and you're ready and then it passes and there's no rain. And you're frustrated and you're discouraged and you're upset. Why? Because someone presented themselves a certain way and it wasn't who they really were. They presented themselves as someone who loves God and loves others. But they didn't and they don't. And Jude's saying, don't be that person. Such people in your church are people that they're like a waterless cloud. And all that creates is disappointment, discouragement, confusion, frustration for all of us. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. Don't be a waterless cloud. He says, then don't be a fruitless tree in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. This, this metaphor is almost a little bit absurd. Don't be a, a tree twice dead. So it's dead because it has no fruit, and it's dead because it has no roots. So it's twice dead. You can't have any fruit if you're not rooted. So it's an absurd metaphor. I don't know if you've noticed, but Abigail McDevitt has been, uh, with the help of a number of women in our church, volunteering her time to keep our garden beds beautiful in our parking lot. If you didn't notice it driving in, then you can keep an eye on it driving out. It would be like if Abby went out there this week and planted an apple tree. And I would left such anticipation to see the fruit grow on the apple tree. But if autumn comes and goes and the time for producing fruit is gone and I look through the tree and it has no fruit, oh, it must have been a dead tree. And I go up to inspect the tree and I realize, oh, it's not just that the fruit has, there's no fruit on the tree, it actually has no roots. Well, and I would say, well, then this tree just needs to be removed because it serves no purpose. And such it is, Judah's saying with these people that creep in, they're ungodly and they should just be removed because they are a tree that is twice dead. No rootedness to Christ and no fruit. It says, don't be like wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. I think Jude and I wouldn't vacation well together. He uh, doesn't like waterless clouds and he doesn't seem to like waves. I love waves and I would use waves to illustrate God's goodness and his faithfulness and his peace. But Jude's going to spin them negative for us. So... Jude says, don't be like wild waves of the sea, casting up foam of their own shame. What Jude is saying, remember when you go to the beach and you can see in the sand where the high tide was? Because it's got that seaweed and that gunk and funky bubbles of like nastiness from where the, what? The ocean is cleaning itself and it's dumping the scum on that line from high tide. And Jude's saying, okay, don't be like these waves. And all you leave behind is this scum. What do you want to be leaving behind? What, what do you want the mark on the sand to be? Do you just want to build up all of this foam from the waves? It just leaves a trail of your own shame. Don't be that person. 
And then he says, don't be like wandering stars. So stars, I'm assuming today, but certainly in the past, sailors and travelers would use the stars to navigate. Why? Because they're consistent and they're faithful. The North Star is always where it's supposed to be without change. But wandering stars, you wouldn't be able to do that, would you? You wouldn't be able to orient your life or your travels to a wandering star. You might say, well, what is a wandering star? It's a great question. It could have been something to Jude, but I'll tell you what it is for me. It's satellites. Unless you're a real conspiracy theorist, it wasn't satellites for Jude. But for us, it, you could just think of satellites. You sit out in the night sky, and that little light that just travels real slowly across the sky is a satellite. It's of no use to you as far as navigating your life, getting direction. It serves no purpose. It's just moving across the sky. And Jude's saying, don't do that. Don't be that person. You want your life to have a sense of, of faithfulness as you center your orbit around God. I apologize, we, we don't have time to look at verses 14 to 15. We're skipping over those, but trust me, they say, if you choose this path of ungodliness, you will be judged. You will be judged. Verse 16, we've already highlighted. So what I want to do as we close the sermon is just to walk back through not just what not to do, but just sort of spin them into a to-do list. So we've seen, don't be like Cain. Don't reject God's word. So the positive to that would be what? Receive God's word in faith. Don't be like Balaam. Don't love money. Rather, treat money as a tool. It's a wonderful tool in your toolbox that you can use to bless God and bless others. Don't be like Korah. Don't rebel against God's authority. Submit to authority. Don't be like these hidden rocks just below the water's surface. Rather, how about we rely on the rock, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't be waterless clouds. Instead, see, I, I don't even want to say it. Be a rain cloud. See, like Eeyore, if Eeyore were here, he would be amening. Eeyore is searching for a church. He's like, this is one I can belong to. Be a rain cloud this week, all right? Rain on somebody. Like, dump out God's goodness, the water of God's goodness onto someone's life. Don't pretend to be something you're not, but be a rain cloud this week. Don't be a fruitless, rootless tree. Be a, a tree that's rooted in Jesus Christ that produces the fruits of the Spirit. Don't be waves that produce filth and shame, but be a river of life, an ocean of love. Don't be a wandering star. Be a star that's in the night sky like the North Star, fixing your orbit on God. Don't grumble and be discontent. Be grateful and content people. Don't follow sinful desires. Follow Jesus. Don't be loudmouth boasters. Be humble and kind. Don't show favoritism to gain an advantage. Be loving and serve all people. If somewhere in this list of what not to do and what to do brings some sense of conviction, then the good news that we always share at Northgate Church is if you will admit your sin, A, and if you will be believe in his forgiveness for you, and C, commit yourself to a new path, then you can experience that. Like that's what Jesus extends to you is this good news. So if you admit, oh, I have been grumbling. Oh, God, I have been discontent. That's great that you just admitted it. Now believe that he forgives you. That's his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And now commit yourself to his way, his way of contentment and gratitude. You may not be able to walk it every day this week, but commit yourself to that path as you go from here today. The good news that Jesus came to share is as simple as ABC. And I'll finish the sermon by finishing the story of the First Baptist Church of Ellisville. So it is true the First Baptist Church of Ellisville no longer exists. But what I didn't tell you in the story is that the church split was in 1993. 
23 years went by. The one church grew older without young children and families, but with a large bank account, but wants this desire to reach younger people. Well, the other church five miles down the road, you know what? They had a lot of children, a lot of families, and a really nice facility, but they didn't have any money. They couldn't sustain their church. A pastor was called to pastor one of the churches, and he steps into this scenario, and he learns the history, and he's just like, what is going on here? This isn't right. Like, God is a God of reconciliation. Let's see what we can do. So he begins to have some conversations. He begins to have some prayer. And the next thing you know, the First Baptist Church of Ellisville no longer exists. There is not two churches now, but one. And that church's name is the Fellowship of Wildwood. And the Fellowship of Wildwood has quite a story. It has a story certainly of, in his distant past, some grumbling. It's got a story of people who walked in the way of Cain and yielded to sin. It's got a story of people who, who uh, followed their own selfish desires. And there was some rebellion like Korah. But the story of the fellowship of Wildwood is a story of how God can redeem all things. So if you feel convicted, if you feel like, oh, I've, I've committed some of these sins, okay. And God can redeem all things. You can start a new chapter in your book even today. And you can go out of here on a new path with restored and renewed energy and strength and faith to walk Jesus' way. Let's pray together.